you may be seated. Thank you, Brother Elder. I think. I uh, did make that phone call after much wrestling with God because I knew that on the ticket today and in this conference were men of God that um, I esteem highly. My two favorite preachers in the whole world are both here today. They're both from California. One of them's via Colorado somewhere. One of them's my pastor. And uh, he'd have probably been appalled if he'd have known I took it on myself. But after much rustling, wrestling and carrying on with God, God finally told me, he said, look, are you going to do what I tell you to do or not? There's been just too many times that I have felt the Holy Ghost speak to me. In fact, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was at a meeting, oh, I don't know, a few months ago, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me while a man was standing at the pulpit trying to figure out what he was going to preach and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said tell him to preach the first one and I said God if I jump up and go running up there in front of everybody and tell him that they're going to think I'm some kind of idiot should have preached the first one I should have fought. <laughs> You're right. I accept that rebuke. <laughs> so if you will today, I want to say I appreciate Brother Elder. I'm not very good at all of this. Absolutely. I can tell there's some folks around here that love their man of God. That's a good thing. And uh, last night, I got in bed, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, get up. Start getting your stuff in order. And I said, but God, they got it covered. <laughs> this is the truth, so help me. So I got up, and I'm sitting there at the, my desk. I'm ready for bed, so I'm not exactly a, a pretty picture. And I'm sitting there, and I start putting my thoughts together. And you would say, well, Brother Bertrand, if you knew this was coming, why weren't they all together? Until you've been where I'm at, you just wouldn't understand. But I started putting them together and I said God you know very well I can't do anything at midnight 1 o'clock in the morning how about I sleep on it I'll get up early and we can do it then and he didn't say no so I went back to bed because I was going nowhere <laughs> and I no sooner got back in bed than brother elder called me at five after, ten after, midnight, twenty after, whatever it was, and uh, said, uh, you're preaching in the morning. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I kind of already had that figured out. Uh, so many words. So, if you will, I want to say how much I honor and appreciate my man of God, Brother Wilson. And uh, what I'm going to preach today, in many ways, 
he is responsible for. If you turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm not real good at preliminaries, so I'd just like to go to preach it. Um, in fact, if I ever do much more of this, I just want everybody, I'm going to go on record today. If I ever speak at other meetings of such nature, I'm just going to start preaching. I get too nervous trying to do all this fancy stuff. All right? I'm just like, this is crazy. First Kings chapter 17. I can find my eyeballs. Let's go to chapter 19. That was because I didn't have my eyes on yet. Couldn't see my own writing. Verse 19. So he departed thence, found Elisha the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12. Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle upon him, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And then I'd like us to go to Second Kings chapter 2. Verse 8, Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the waters. They were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass, when they were going over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee it shall be so unto thee but if not it shall not be and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire parted them both of the sunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven Elisha saw it and cried my father my father the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof and he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces this is kind of interesting right here. Because a lot of things getting divided right now. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Says it again and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. And I want to talk to you this morning on this subject matter. Well, I don't know about all subject matter, but I want to give you this title. I want to talk to you about And the Mantle Fell. And the Mantle Fell. I wonder if we could all over the house put our Bibles down. Let's raise our hands to heaven. And ask God to be with us here in the next few moments. And Lord, I don't need a reputation. And I don't need the, the fame and acclaim of men. But God, we need to hear from you having already been touched by the man of God I pray that what I felt imparted into my spirit a few moments ago will now flow through this vessel of clay 
will touch ears that are anointed to hear. Change us and shape us. Make us, design us, and help us. In the Holy Ghost, I pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. I noticed something interesting about this mantle business. And uh, I'm not really preaching this message because of the, the title of the conference. And yet, that's really what it's, there's so much of the title of the conference that is poured into where we're going today. And um, I think it's important for us to understand that in the concept of the mantle, I noticed something that I'd never heard mentioned, and it was interesting to me that when I noticed Elijah and that mantle, for the first time I realized it was a part of him that was used very sparingly. You don't find where Elijah did many miracles with his mantle. You find the staffs in operation. You find sticks in both prophets thrown into the water. You find a lot of things going on. But what I noticed was that when Elijah went by Elisha and put his mantle on him, it brought about something called division. And Elisha's response to the mantle without anything being said, is let me go kiss my mom and my dad and then I'm going to come and I'm going to follow you. And there was something about the mantle that when it touched Elisha, immediately it separated him from the world that he was a part of until that moment and thrust him into another dimension that probably he would have never recognized or known. It was a mantle, and whether you want to say it was a mantle of anointing, and I believe it was, but also recognize that it was a mantle that once it touched you, it forever changed the world that you were used to operating in. I remember as a child, about 12 years old, my family, after our home church had been ripped and shredded and torn by human ambition and desires, and... Uh, I won't go into all of that. My pastor can do it a lot better than I can. He has much more perception. I was just a child. But I remember my mother and father moving me back to the old church because God had sent someone in there that had a mantle that had separated him from a whole host of other preachers that were out there just preaching. And I'm not saying they weren't doing a good job. But there was something about that man of God and the mantle that he wore that when it came into that city, it started dividing things. He has, I've never heard him say this, the pastor that built that church, tremendous man, whether I agree or disagree with some of his pastoring style is not the issue. But 
when my pastor, and if I can just call him by name today, he's going to hate me for this because he's going to hear his name a lot today, but when Brother Wilson came into that place, I remember as a 12-year-old kid, I was just there. You know, I was just one of the kids running around. And he had no idea, especially knowing or learning about the uh, sometimes expressive nature of the Bertram clan. And that colorful personality, if you want to call it that, your color might be black, but it's a color. And uh, he had no idea at that time, and neither did I, that this day would come. And what he had... Maybe he did and maybe he didn't realize. But I was watching him. And while I was doing things and getting into the, you know, being rambunctious and getting into the trouble, <laughs> you know, not bad stuff, you know, just like teepee in the pastor's house. And he always caught us. It was like God was inside ringing his doorbell. And I remember he would come out, and one time the cops showed up because there's toilet paper everywhere, and he was having a blast because we were all bug-eyed. Are we going to jail? I need, I need to do a booker right now. But I can't quite get the facial expressions right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember. And he's, he's out there surrounded by 15 or 20 of his young people. And we're all looking at him, and there's the cop saying, you want to suppress charges? Now, I don't know if this was all pre set up by him and them or not. Maybe one day he'll tell me. But I remember thinking, oh, Lord, we have done it now. And he was like, no, no, I think, I think they'll probably learn from this. I think it'll probably be all right. And the officer left, and he said, let's all go in and have hot chocolate. And I remember thinking, that is the coolest pastor in the world. I was just a saint's kid, voted least likely to ever be a preacher out of probably a big portion of that youth group. And yet... There was something in me that said something about him is touching me. And I want what he's got. Not knowing what I was asking. I prayed. I was taught early to learn about faith. In my Sunday school class, 11 years old, my Sunday school teacher said, this is how faith works. You can look around, and if you see someone that even at an early age, you know that's the person for you and that's who you want to marry, you can ask God. And then faith leaves it there and God will bring it to pass. And my poor wife didn't know it. So help me, this is the truth. In that class, right then, he, he stopped class and had us pray. 
<laughs> You're safe. <laughs> and said, let's all pray. And if you know something, that, and you got faith to touch God, God will give it to you. And I said, God, I want Terry Walker as my wife. And my wife went home. I didn't know this. Right about the same time, she went home and cried to her mother and said, Mom, what am I going to do? I'm afraid. What if God makes me marry somebody like Todd Bertram? <laughs> That's the truth. I kid you not. <laughs> And a few years went by, and I changed from the little snot-nosed, snivelly, whining, whatever I was, brat, kid, and uh, grew up a little bit, and she grew up a whole bunch, and, and uh, praise God, she finally asked me to marry her. And she's been in bliss ever since. I got a little real estate I'd like to sell you. <laughs> and I asked God, and I, I didn't realize then that God was already starting a process. And he was designing something. Huh. It's kind of like when God called Peter to, and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And for the next three years, all he did was go up and down, up and down, round, in and out, up and down. One day he's an angel, the next day he's a rock, the next day he's the devil. One minute it's flesh and blood hath not revealed to you, and the next minute it's get behind me, Satan. One minute he's, I'll never deny you, and the next day I don't know the guy. And finally, it culminates on the shore of Galilee. And Jesus says, lovest thou me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And you know the story. And the Bible said Peter was grieved because the Lord said to him the third time. And the reason he was grieved because of the third time in my little pea brain because God said, for every place of failure, I'm going to make sure you got a place of redemption. And that meant a lot to this old boy when God began to unfold that into my spirit because I began to realize because I'd struggled and I've been through a lot of things and I've dealt with issues and I've dealt with personality struggles and I've dealt with who am I and what am I and how am I going to ever get to where I feel like somewhere in my spirit I'm supposed to be. But somewhere along the way, God helped me to begin to understand some things uh, about uh, his spirit and where how he works and what his purpose is and his plan is and that's what I want to share with you today and in sharing that with you I want to hopefully give you something somebody here that will unlock something into your life and unlock something into your spirit that will help you to go beyond where you've been I don't know I don't know what you did but something happened up here just a second ago we can I don't know I don't know if the limiter just cut me out a little bit You know, there's an interesting story. I'm perambulating for a moment. I learned that big fancy word from my pastor. He has a lot of those. The perspicacity of the intellectualism is sometimes wondrous to behold. <laughs> I am. I'm preaching. This is how I preach. My folks at home were looking, they, they just crack up because they know I'll back up and fix it. The mental keenness of, be, of being having intellect. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Yeah. 
this story, I want to tell you a little story. I'm going to do a, tell you a little story here. Several years ago in Russia, a lady was in a severe automobile accident. The windshield was shattered. Glass rained everywhere. And she was hospitalized for weeks. Her eyes were heavily bandaged. And um, her glasses, she was very, very poor sight. Her glasses were destroyed. Uh, no, no prescription to follow per se. You know, they knew. I mean, she had a doctor and probably roughly knew what it was. But finally the day came, the bandages came off the eyes and they were going to fit her with some glasses. And they went back to roughly what she had before, made her a pair of glasses, put them on her, and she couldn't see. And uh, so they, they, did, they started doing some check-in because she started complaining that when they would put glasses on her, it was worse than it was before. And uh, they did some check-in, and they realized that something in the course of that accident, her eyes had been cut. And the cutting of her eyes had caused the surface of the eye to change. And in so doing, her vision had actually improved. And today we call it LASIK. It was the first <laughs> accidental LASIK surgery. The doctors recognizing what was going on began to explore the field and deal with the human eye and, and how the, and we have what we have today where they use lasers and everything else. But if you go back there and study the history, the, the, what happened was at first when it started, they would actually take you in and they would, they would cut, make little cuts on the surface of the eye because the eye would become oblong. And when it would become oblong, instead of light hitting it, it would glance off of it at different angles. And what they realized, and what they knew for a long time, but what I realized was that sight is all about the reception of light. Now, it may seem to you that I'm, I'm on a different track right now, but they're going to come together in a moment. The ability to see is something that is found throughout Scripture in unique ways. In fact, when I studied the Word of God, I found something interesting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. And it said that God... The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And on the second day, God said, let there be a firmament. And let it separate the waters above from the waters beneath. And he called the firmament heaven. And on the third day, God said, let the waters gather all up and let the dry land appear. And let the dry land bring forth tree, herb, grass, everything with its seed in it after its kind. And let it produce and let it be. And the earth brought forth. And God saw that it was good. And everything's wonderful. And on the fourth day, God said, let's make a light and put it in the heavens, and let's make a lesser light, 
and let's put it to rule the night and let's create celestial bodies, stars, and let's put them all in place so that, you know, we can have this whole thing we call the Milky Way. But what I realized was science has missed an equation somewhere because they say that without photosynthesis, this world will die. But I say, before there ever was photosynthesis, I'll learn to speak here in a minute, before there ever was the sun and the moon and the stars, there was something holding all this together. And it was called light. And the evening and the morning were the first day, and I struggled with that until I began to realize that maybe I'd had a misperception for so long, and if this opposes your, your uh, doctrine of uh, evolution, just bear with me and write me off as a raven lunatic or whatever you want to do, and we'll go on. But I began to realize that day one is encapsulated by light. And what is interesting about it is God said, but we got to separate light from darkness. And God divided light from darkness. And when you study it, you begin to realize that day two is encapsulated into day one, and day three is encapsulated into days one and two, and days four is encapsulated into days three, two, and one, and it all begins to become a part of a big whole. It's a big picture, and, and I'm going to prove that to you in, a, in just a, a moment or two, but I want to follow this for a moment because this, there's something about light and that God, the very first thing he did was said, let there be light and separated the light from the darkness because John, the gospel, says in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was with God and the Logos was God and all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made and I've pondered that because the world around us wants to attribute creation to the Father, but the Word of God attributes creation to the Logos that was with God, that was God. And the Scripture said, He was the light of the world, and the world shined, and the world didn't understand what was going on about it, the light, and the world comprehended it not. And John said, the light shined in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. And I've always thought that to mean that the darkness didn't flee, but that isn't what it meant. It meant that darkness refused to be impacted. It refused to recognize that light was there. And when you study it all out, and I don't have time to go into it all today, but you find where God said, even in the tabernacle, I will dwell in the darkness. <laughs> and Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And he wasn't talking about sunshine. He was saying, they love the world rather than me. They don't want the light that I'm trying to shine and bring into their existence because they got their own little world and they got their own little agenda and they got their own little plan and they got what they want to do and what they like to do. So they don't want you putting God on them. 
give us a little religion, that's okay, but we don't want God, and we don't want God to mess up our little party because we like what's going on just the way it is. And God was saying, the light shines anyway. In fact, it's interesting that when Moses went into the mount uh, to receive the law and was there with God, the Bible said his, his face would shine and he would veil his face. And Paul talks about the flesh of Christ as the veil that covered. And we know that on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter and James and John were there, that the, the veil was taken away for a moment and some kind of light began to permeate. And it was so powerful and so bright uh, that it drove them to their face uh, and they were as people dead on their faces because of light. But what good is light if you can't see? What good is light if you can't perceive that there is light. You say, Brother Bertram, how did I, you, you said you were going to bring this all together. I am. Watch. A few years ago, my children were little. We took them into a cave in Kentucky. I didn't know how far down we were. We were almost to the end of the tour. And the lady that was with us giving us the tour said, I'm going to turn out the artificial light that is in this cave. And when I do, you are going to be unable to see. Wave your hand in front of your face. Get it right there an inch away. Wait for a few minutes. Now, I will turn the light back on. I promise you, I have my hand on the switch. But you just, you just, I'm going to give it a few seconds, so don't panic. I was glad she said that. Uh, you know, I, I'm a grown man, got little children and everything, and, and uh, my wife and I reached down and took our children by the hand because we didn't want darkness separating us. <laughs> and she flipped that switch and folks I'm not kidding you when I say it was dark in there and I waved my hand in front of my face my free hand and I couldn't see my fingers I couldn't see a shadow I couldn't see I waited a few minutes this was back when my eyes are good couldn't see anything and she spoke out of the darkness and she said prolonged exposure to this kind of darkness will damage your eyes to where even if you do get back into the light if you stay too long in this kind of darkness it will damage your eyes to where you cannot see And I thought, my God. <laughs> and years later, God begins to bring it back. And he takes me into that cave. And he helps me to realize, you don't ever want to get in a place that you can't see. Because if you can't see, you don't have a chance of receiving and knowing when the mantle falls. You see, Elijah had told Elisha 
what do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of thy spirit. And I prayed as a child and said, God, I want a double portion of Brother Wilson's spirit. And my faith said, okay, if you can pray for your poor wife, you can pray. Huh. I ain't saying my faith hadn't been tested, but I think I may be getting close as I get older because I preach more like him than any of his contemporaries. And everywhere I go, they tell me, we can tell you're Nate Wilson's. And to me, what they don't know, I'm saying, cool. But then I began to realize in order to go, in order to be, something has to happen. And Elijah, after making that request to Elijah, said, I want a double portion. And Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. It wasn't until I connected, you've asked a hard thing, to way back in the beginning when he took his mantle. I've always wondered what was he saying because of the terminology and the language when he said, when he first laid his mantle on him back there in the field with the oxen, and when he said, let me go kiss mom and daddy and tell them goodbye. And he said, return again. But I never understood that. For what have I done to thee? Until I began to hear it in a different tone. As the man Elijah understood what that mantle was about. And he said, go ahead. Go kiss them. For what? And you could feel the anguish almost in his spirit, what have I done to you? But I did what I had to because God told me that I got to go and anoint you. And so the first thing I can do to get you in the place where the anointing can come is I got to touch you with something that's going to divide you and separate you. And then it's up to you to follow me and minister in my stead and minister to the times that I'm in need and pour water. And the scripture said that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. And it's using a connotation that says Elisha became close and he became one with Elijah and his spirit yearned for the things of Elijah's spirit. And so he stayed with him. And we know the story how that when the time came for Elijah to be carried out, Elisha said, I'm staying with you. Well, I'm going to Bethel. I'm staying with you. I'm going to Jordan. I'm staying with you. I'm going to Jericho. I'm staying with you. I'm going to the other side. I don't care where you go. I'm staying with you because there's something that's got to happen. I've separated myself from my mama and my daddy, and I kissed them goodbye a long time ago. And I've separated myself from my friends and my family, and I said, this is it. I found something that I got to have, and nothing else can replace it. And I preach it to you. When you find and connect with what the mantle brings, it might bring separation in many ways from those that are close to you. But God God's got a plan, and he's got a purpose, and he's got a design for your life. And you need to recognize that when the mantle touches you and the separation process begins, that there's a purpose for it. Oh, Holy Ghost. 
And he says, if you see me when I go, how do you get up and down? If you see me when I go, thank you, sir. You can have it. And the Bible says, the whirlwind comes and catches him away. And Elisha's standing on the ground. And all of a sudden, out of the depth of his spirit, comes a cry. It is a proverb in Israel to this day. But it's the first time I ever find it mentioned in the scripture. And it said, my father, my father. He's crying to Elijah. The chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He's not just saying a statement. He's saying, I can see. He's saying, light is penetrating, not into my natural eye, not physical light, but light is penetrating into my spirit and into my being, and scales are being ripped off of my eyes, and I'm seeing things that other people can't see. And he's saying, I'm telling you what's there. There's chariots and there's horsemen, and there's things going on, and it isn't until the, the cry comes that you can that he acknowledges and cries out, I can see it. The mantle falls. And he picks up the mantle. And he walks back to Jordan. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he takes the mantle. And the Bible said he smote the water. And when he smelt the water, the power of the mantle went to work. And things start dividing. And things start separating. And we want the torch passed. And we want the mantle passed. <laughs> and there isn't anybody in this room that has cried and prayed, God. <laughs> and people have asked me, have you ever been to a mantle service? And I've said, no, I don't have to. <laughs> because I got something. I was touched. It didn't have to be a physical realm. It was something happened in the spiritual dimension. And it touched me all those years ago. And it's what's made the difference. And it's what causes me to be able to wake up one day, walk into my office, and God say, call Brother Elder and tell him, you're coming and you're coming ready. Our problem is we want people with prophetic ministry, but they're afraid to operate in that dimension. They're afraid to step up and say, okay, I'm going to tell you what I see. I see where God is saying, go here and do this. And I'm going to tell you, last night, even while service was ending, I heard that Brother Moreno was on his way. And I said, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you told me. And I know what's going on. And I didn't understand it when God said, get up out of that bed. And a few minutes before midnight, and start putting it together. But God 
knew what he was doing. And God was helping me to understand. Papa, if you're going to see, you're going to have to see with your eyes wide open. And you're going to have to understand what the mantle's about. And there's times that you got to step into places that are scary. And there are places where no one else wants to go. And there's places where the prophets and the sons of the prophets want to hang back and act like, well, we'll watch from afar to see if you die. But there are people in this place, there are ministry in this place that it's time for you to step up uh, and God's calling you uh, and he's saying, look, I'm not talking about pie in the sky where you walk around and do all this quote-unquote stuff where these guys, all they want to do is operate and say, well, you know, I see the spirit moving down your spine. I'm talking about real sight uh, where you can see what's going on in the dimension of the Holy Ghost uh, and God can talk to you and lead you and guide you and give you direction, but it's a place uh, that separates you from the norm. I'll kind of be glad. There ain't no kind about it. I'll be overjoyed. We all will. Because you know in Revelation 22, the Bible said that in that new city, there's no more sea. And there's a river of life that flows out of the midst of the throne. And he that sits upon the throne and it says and there will be no night there and it says and there is no need of the sun kind of takes us back to days one two and three For he is the light of that city. In fact, the scripture said, I have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And what he was saying was, when, we, when it's all wrapped up, God had always separated the light from, from the darkness. The problem is, is we wrestle with the coexistence of light and darkness in the same plane. You say, how can that be? Light's supposed to flee. Uh-uh. I've always wondered about how that that high priest would go in. Did the veil just disappear, or did God bring him through the veil? And if God brought him through the veil, now I'm convinced that he brought him through the veil. And in so doing, you wonder, how did he get around? Easy, with the presence and glory of God settled on that place. Where did he say he's going to dwell? Between the cherubims on the mercy seat. That place was so lit up, it was so megawatted, you didn't have to worry about darkness. That's why the veil was there. Oh, well. I know I'm kind of messing with some of your minds right now, but... That's why Moses, when he got in the presence of the light, he had to veil his face because just the reflection of it was so great that he had to put something over his face because they couldn't, it was, it was too marvelous and too glorious to behold. But what is it good does it do me? How bright it is if I can't see. Now I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Elisha is now going to die. His time is approaching. He is on his bed. Not a healthy man.
knows he's got to do something. And the king comes into his room, leans over his bed and cries, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he gets up out of his bed. And he says, Bring me a bull. Bring me some arrows. And he gets him. And he puts his hands on his hands. And they pull the bow back together. And shoot an arrow out the window. And he says, God, that's the deliverance from Syria. Now take the arrows and beat them on the floor. And the king says, once, twice, three times. And he steps back and he looks at the prophet. The Bible said, this is one of the most tragic times. The man of God, <laughs> and I know this is what's happening right now. This is why I'm telling you, it's, this is why our elders are saying, look, we need something that will create a setting where the torch can pass, the mantle can be laid, because Elisha looks at that man, and he becomes angry. You would think he would be sad, but he wasn't sad. He was angry for multiple reasons, but the number one was, you said it, you talked it, you had the phrase, you had the right talk, but you didn't see nothing. You're wandering around in darkness and you don't see a thing. And I'm telling you, man of God, woman of God, when God calls you, God intends for you to have the scales ripped off your eyes. God does not intend for his people to wander around in darkness where they cannot discern or comprehend the light. Dies and angry, oh prophet. I'm going to my phone. I'm going to read to you a text I got a while ago. My son in law married my daughter, Amber Bertram. Some of you may know her. I've known many places as Amber's dad. <laughs> Terrific, awesome young man of God that has tremendous spiritual insight. He texted me, he said, thresholds only determine the width of a door. I typed back to him. Well, let me finish. That's true. Thresholds only determine the width, but never the height. Yes, sir, I felt that on my heart, maybe for someone I don't know, just trying to follow the Holy Ghost these days. Where's the parlor music? Whoever does that. And then I replied back to him, isn't it interesting, though, that the mantle determines the height? I spent many years in the construction industry. I built buildings like this. I built homes. 
I built, I even worked in what they call industrial construction, built in building nuclear power facilities for a little while. I'm familiar with doors. I'm familiar with the fact that a door has to be aligned correctly. And I've never thought about a threshold except for something you just step over. And I'd never thought about a mantle until this morning when I got that text. And I realized I can be touched by the mantle. I can be separated. But if I can't see, I don't know that I got to pick it up. Elijah, your job is to anoint him, touch him, but somewhere along the way, he's got to get the sight you got. He's got to be able to step into places where only the Spirit knows what's going on. And the problem is, is we have so many young ministers today. They want to be preachers, but they don't want to follow the one with the mantle to the end of the earth if need be. And then on top of that, there we got the ones that they know how to say it so good and they know how to preach it like a house of fire. And they know how to turn the crowd and make them jump and scream and hallelujah and carry on and run the aisles. And I could preach that way too, but that's not the will of God for this morning. God wants to send a message to some folks in this place today that it's time. And this is what Elisha, and I'm closing with this, Elisha had a servant before this king ever came on. The, he had a servant, and they, the, the very armies of Syria had them and. And, and surrounded and camped against them in a valley. They were in a, a little house. And the Bible said they got up in the morning and went outside the house. And the servant cried and said, we're surrounded. We're dead for sure. And the prophet said, God, open his eyes. that he could see. He was saying, look, it's time for the mantle to fall. Can you pick it up? And the Bible said, God opened the eyes of his servant. And when the eyes came open, there was an angelic host. And I've heard it preached this way so many times. And I'm not here to be divisive, but I'm going to clarify something today. There was not an angelic host around about that Syrian army. You go back and read your book. It said there was a host round about the man of God. They were round about Elisha and that army would have had to come through that host to get to that man of God. And I'm preaching to somebody that if you can ever get the skills, you'll begin to realize that God has got angels and God has got a plan. And there's a reason why you've been protected all this time. And you thought you were just going along, but God was saying, I got a host around about you. I just wish you could see him.
Let's stand our feet. I'm going to do something. I, 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 Brother Elder just told me just follow the Holy Ghost uh, just for a minute. If you're here and you're ready to see and you've been touched by the mantle, it's a process, you see. And somewhere, I'm not saying it's going to happen right here this moment, but I'm saying if you're hungry and you want to see in those dimensions, I'm going to get, ask you to step out. I'm I don't care if you're an old minister, young minister, I don't care. There are things that are moving in the presence of God. And we've got our elders here. And they'll, they're going to pray for us. But what I want us to do is I want us to pray and say, God, just help me whenever the time is. If it's right now, then so be it. But when the time comes, help me to see the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And let it not just be a word, but let it be something that is operating in the power of the light. Thank you, Jesus.